Our scripture lesson this morning is from Mark chapter 15, verses 16 to 32. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him, and when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. The word of the Lord. Where did I get these sandals? That's a story. I just started out with the Auxalia. I'd only been with the cohort for a couple of months. I was pretty proud of the appointment. I mean, with my family background, it was a good chance to move up, make something of myself. The pay wasn't great, but uh, it was stable. Respectable work. And if I I did well, uh, I might even earn a command post and even move up to a legion. Rome was growing, and Rome was powerful. Working in Jerusalem meant sometimes dealing with the Jewish resistance. I mean, they weren't exactly a serious threat to Rome, but they could make things interesting. For example, there was this character, Jesus. Personally, I couldn't see anything that was threatening about the guy. But he gets brought up on charges of sedition or something. Uh, it was kind of wild because his own people seemed really worked up about him declaring himself king. I mean, they wanted no part of it. They passed him off to Pilate, wanted him convicted, wanted a capital punishment for his crime. Pilate tried to release him, but the crowd was practically rioting for his conviction. So eventually Pilate gives in, hands him over to our crew for flogging and crucifixion, and well then, you know the drill. It's nothing personal. Rome just wants these things taken care of completely. Wants to make sure people remember who's in charge. So, you know, me and the boys, we work them over pretty good. Someone gets smart and makes 
a crown uh, out of some thorny branches and puts it on his head. I mean, wow, that thing's probably got to hurt. Someone else makes a sign for the cross that says, King of the Jews, you know, sarcastically speaking. Cruel? Mm. Yeah, I guess. But like I said, Rome wants these things um, squashed. Once all that stuff's done, he goes up on the cross, and then it's just a waiting game. Pretty boring, really. Most criminals take a couple of days to give it up, and we're required to stand guard until they're dead. While we're hanging around, we entertain ourselves in random ways, like rolling for who gets their clothes, at least anything worth taking. It's not usually much. Most times, I don't win. But this time, I got lucky. Got these sandals. They're decent. Funny, it's... uh, it's rare that I remember anything about these convictions that, that, that die on my watch. But this guy, Jesus, I remember that even though through the torture and the mocking and the pounding of the nails, he had this kind of dignity. Hard to explain. He, he didn't fight back, didn't try to defend himself, but it was like he had a different focus, like something somewhere beyond it was unique. It makes me remember him. Think about him from time to time. So yeah, these sandals, that's where I got them. Roman soldiers twist together a crown of thorns. Jesus is sent from Pilate to the soldiers to be crucified. This is their job, and they get to it. Beyond what we might consider the basics of the job, They have some fun at Jesus' expense. In addition to the physical abuse that is recorded in the Passion narrative, as you might expect, the soldiers begin to mock Jesus. One biblical scholar labels their behavior buffoonery. If you look up in the dictionary what buffoonery means, you learn that it means clowning around. Having fun. That's what's going on here. Having fun with Jesus, or rather, making fun of him. To be demeaned in this way is particularly insulting. To make sense of what exactly the soldiers are doing, we need to notice the charge that Jesus is convicted of. 
It's the soldier's job not only to crucify the prisoner, but also as verse 26 of Mark chapter 15 indicates, to make written notice of the charge against him. In the case of Jesus, the charge he is guilty of is his claim to be the king of the Jews. The soldier's ridicule of Jesus is based on this charge. And the preposterous, downright humorous idea that this, this defenseless, humiliated human being in front of them is a person of power. That explains the props that they introduce in this episode of Twisted Theater. They introduce these props to dress Jesus up and make sport of him. Verses 16 through 18 of Mark 15, the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. The purple robe and the crown are the calling cards of a king. In the traditions of the church, the the crown of thorns starts to be seen almost as an instrument or an implement of torture increasingly rendered in religious art with longer and sharper thorns that draw more and more blood that runs down Jesus' face. Yet, granted that thorns poking into the flesh would be quite painful, and noticing that at this time the soldiers are hitting Jesus on the head with a staff as they clown around. It becomes clear in this context that the crown of thorns is not meant to torture. It is meant to humiliate. Humiliation is the real game here. Jesus, on his way to the cross, suffered dehumanizing and demeaning treatment that many convicted prisoners have experienced, their conviction costing them not only their freedom, but their human dignity as well. In recent history, we have seen high-profile and Definitely cringe-worthy cases of soldiers making fun of prisoners of war, intent on humiliating them. Of course, in war, it takes a tremendous amount of maturity and moral fortitude to respect the dignity of enemy combatants that you have been given warrant to kill. And yet the same restraint might well be needed in cases of capital punishment. 
Like in Jesus' case, someone who has been judged worthy of death might be seen as having forfeited their human dignity and can be treated accordingly, right? It's actually common for any prisoner to lose standing in the eyes of others. As I was preparing this sermon, I reflected on the ministry of this congregation for three decades, four, at least four times every year, a small team of people would gather in the church parking lot at about 5 p.m. on a Sunday night. And they'd get into one or two vehicles and they'd drive to Monroe to the Twin Rivers Correctional Facility. Someone would probably have a guitar with them They also carried with them a preacher who was prepared to preach a sermon at the worship service that they would hold for the prisoners there who would come to worship. I think of the witness of that, that even though the vast majority of us never participated in that, each one who attended this church attended a church that for whom that was a witness of its ministry. I can tell you that you have not ever had a pastor, actually for a very, very long time, you have not had a pastor of this church who has not profoundly been shaped by their experiences of regularly going into the prison and preaching. The twisted crown of thorns reveals twisting, another type of twisting that's going on. Twisted taunts fill the air from here on out in the story. The soldier's tone that they set in humiliating Jesus is contagious as they set out to complete the task of crucifixion. The taunting goes viral. Passers-by hurl insults at Jesus. The chief priests and teachers of the law mock him. Even those prisoners who are crucified with him join in this chorus of derision. Jesus is on the receiving end of public scorn and humiliation, and it seems like everyone is getting into the act. Now, when we read this in the gospel text, when we consider Jesus' experience of being mocked, of receiving insults, we think of what our experience may have been on the receiving end of this. Each of us is familiar at some level with what it feels like to be made fun of. It starts early in life. For those who, who propose the, uh, that, that we have a sin problem from our birth, might point to some of the earliest sins that we commit are these types of sins, one child to another. It breaks open the myth 
of the purity of childhood. And some of us carry wounds from when we lived in years counted by single digits. We carry them with us decades and decades into the future. Mercilessly being teased, being laughed at when you make a public mistake. It could be your first experience on the sports field of realizing that the crowd, the angry crowd is yelling at you. Hoping that you will mess up. Air ball. One of the moves that I can recall being so funny in my era of growing up in the 70s is, is strangely related to part of the passion narrative and the mocking of Jesus. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is described as, as being blindfolded and then the, the people who are hitting him, they hit him and say, prophesy, tell us who hit you. It reminded me of something that we kids would do unsuspectedly going up to another kid, taking their arm and moving it so that they would hit their face with their own hand. Have you ever heard of that? And, and what did, would you say when you did that? Why are you hitting yourself? If that only happened once, you'd laugh. But if it happened repeatedly, and if it was an older brother who did it. You stopped laughing pretty soon. And that's when the fights would begin. Social media didn't start the problem, but it expands the reach of ridicule. In ridicule, we're not the only ones who, we're not only the ones who are on the receiving end, but we're also the ones who lend our voice to twisted taunts. A recent study of teenage students in the UK found that the idea of cruelty being limited to a few identifiable bullies among the vast innocent population, they're finding that it's not quite accurate. They discovered what they call, quote, a wider culture of negative interaction in which the same people play different roles at different times. Sometimes you're the bully. Sometimes you get bullied. And sometimes you bully because you got bullied. The researchers concluded that the term taunting might be a better one to describe what's happening on social media so often rather than bullying. Since it reflects a more widely shared action in the general culture of nastiness in school life, as they call it. There's even a further twist or a twisting that is happening in the text. The primary meaning of the verb to twist is to cause to move by a turning motion. Yet a secondary definition indicates that it might be an appropriate word to describe what is happening in the taunting and mocking of Jesus as he goes to the cross and ultimately hangs from it. To twist also can mean to alter or distort something. Captured by a host of synonyms that start with the prefix 
miss, misrepresent, mislead, misinterpret, and so on. We see the heart conviction of the soldiers and the onlookers in the mocking tone of their taunts. They, in effect, place themselves above Jesus and look down on him, even as they look up at him as he hangs on the cross. Their words are demeaning and condescending. Yet, if the Christian testimony is true, that Jesus is truly God incarnate, they've got it all wrong. They've twisted it all around. That's God on the cross. Whether by elevating themselves or downgrading the divine or a combination of both, they stand above God and hurl their insults downward from there. Now, it's fairly easy for people of faith to notice the twisted taunts of secular ridicule toward Jesus or those who believe in him. Recently, I was watching a comedy special on Netflix that I was enjoying quite a lot until the target of jokes began to be God. And not just general God, but the Christian God. And then the target became those who are foolish enough to believe in such a thing. I wasn't laughing very much anymore. Listening through it, which I did, was a bit painful, but it helped me to understand more of where this person was coming from. Why they thought it was so funny. Why it was comedy for them to say something like they were saying. It's not only the lifelong atheists who make sport. Some of the particularly strident voices in our culture come from those who were raised on religion, but now reject it. But this mention of religion brings the topic closer to home, as does the sentiment being repeatedly expressed by the jeering onlookers while Jesus hangs from the cross. It amounts to this. If you're so great, Jesus, come down from the cross and prove it. Prove it to save yourself. Prove it so I'll believe. In demanding this, we get things twisted. Now we are the ones who must be satisfied by God's actions and not the other way around. Do you see how that that happened? Do you see how how it's so easy with a consumer mindset to be engaged in religion and be talking about God and on the turn of a dime, without even realizing it, it can become all about us and God needing to do for us what we need God to do. And we become so focused with ourselves being in the center, that sometimes we never get around to thinking that it goes the other way too. The corollary to secular ridicule might well be religious self-righteousness. It turns out that it's all about me 
and getting what I need from God. Faith at its best becomes religion at its worst when we make it all about meeting our needs. To justify ourselves, to get what we feel we deserve, to show to others and demonstrate how good or intelligent or selfless or sophisticated we are. But as we take our place in the passion narrative and look up to Jesus on the cross, what is the conviction of our hearts? Songwriter Stuart Townend, in the second verse of his contemporary hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, which we sang last week, shares a humbling perspective. His words have repeatedly drawn me away from active self-righteousness, admittedly, into a humble place before the Lord. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying bread has, breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. What can be done? What can be done? As we gather around the table of our Lord, the remedy that Jesus would point us to is remembrance. Remembering that this was all for our redemption. Yes, even the redemption of those who always end up twisting things. Remembering Jesus' words to all of us on ground level, on level ground at the foot of the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Amen.